So, Pete, you'll remember last season I gave a very brief and fairly uninformed overview of the history of hysteria which was pretty much uh, how medical science has been treating women and their wandering uteruses uh, for their anxiety conditions throughout history. You remember that, Goldmine? I think we uh, we taught a lot of people, uh, gave a lot of people hope with that episode. I would like to think so. And it also has the the most use of the word vibrator in What's That Smell history. <laughs> uh, so go back, listeners, and listen to those. Uh, but I've granted the podcast is still young, so hopefully we will break that record this season. But to give equal time, because really, we haven't heard enough about men, I thought that I'd give a little bit of a brief <laughs> overview of some of the history of anxiety in men. Oh, I can't wait. By that, very little, because we really attributed this to women for a very, very, very long time. Um, it actually wasn't until during the Civil War, um, around the late 1800s, when soldiers were uh, started to be diagnosed with something called irritable heart syndrome. Irritable heart syndrome. Irritable heart syndrome because they exhibited heart palpitations and shortness of breath and some anxious behavior. Of course, now we know that to be not irritable heart syndrome, but post-traumatic stress disorder. Wow. They were showing PTSD, and it took the Civil War... Uh, to start us really attributing anxiety in men. Of course, you know, I do as much research as I can, and by that I mean not very much. So please, <laughs> listeners, let us know if I'm getting all of this wrong, including the name of this podcast. But the point is uh, that with PTSD, we started really uh, started diagnosing men with anxiety and with anxiety disorders uh, because medicine is what it is. Uh, women, I guess, got vibrators and men got opium. <laughs> We did not know That's a the addictive trade. effects. <laughs> it really is. Take that. Uh, because we had no idea about the addictive effects. Uh, opium was in a lot of stuff. Opium was in cough syrup at, at certain points throughout our history. Right. Um, and so it was usually treated through opium, which is a disaster, which, of course, does not help anything. Um, and a little bit later in the 1800s, it finally turned to something called nerve weakness. That if even if someone wasn't having PTSD, but was suffering from anxiety, they just had nerve weakness. You know, <laughs> when your nerves get all get all weak and emasculated. <laughs> what, what does that look like? I mean, are you generally saggier than you normally are? Is there a, <laughs> really are. A, like an external kind of skin appearance? Are you baggier? It's it's like like a, a real low tuba follows you around and goes bump bump <laughs> bump with every step. Cloud. Always yes, over your exactly. head. Always written. Yeah. Um, we upgraded from opium, but we were still around that time when nerve weakness was involved. It was treated by ethyl alcohol and bromide salts. Right. Always getting right in there <laughs> for anxiety. But if we're talking about men and we're talking anxiety, there is something that really stuck out to me, which is men have half the reported rate of anxiety disorders as women. This comes from Dr. Neil Rector from he's a research director at Toronto's Sunnybrook Hospital. Why, if you had to guess why uh, uh, half of men report anxiety disorders than women, why would you think? Why half? Why men are reporting anxiety at half the rate of women? Correct. Do you think it's because they actually do have half the anxiety or is there something else I, going on? I don't think that. Right. I don't think what you said is truth. I think it is false. Right. False. Yes, it's a, that, that would be a trap. Yes. Number one. Um, <laughs> that was the laziest there... trap you've ever given to you. <laughs> it's that kind of day, Pete. 
<laughs> there's biology actually has to do with something. Men are a little bit built differently uh, in order to handle anxiety than women biologically. Would you like to hear why? Oh, deeply. Testosterone. Testosterone boosts the action of GABA, which is gamma aminobutric acid, and increases serotonin. What those two brain chemicals have in common is they are found in to be very, very low in anxious people. Testosterone also reduces the activity of the amygdala, our old friend from another podcast. The amygdala is in charge of fight or flight. And so if testosterone is sort of dampening the amygdala, then the basic idea of fight or flight, which is where a lot of anxiety comes from, can be taken down. Finally, testosterone modulates the release of hormone cortisol in response to stress. So that's the biology. That's good. That's a good plus. For men. Hooray for men, right? Hooray men. Finally. Yeah. Finally a step up. Right. Number two. <laughs> I'm male and I'm proud, right? Right. <laughs> There's got to be well, a chance. It's funny because this, what you just said, I'm male and I'm proud, goes really into number two. The big one is that men with anxiety feel something that does that women with anxiety don't feel as much, which is shame. Uh, women that men don't have feel been. Was that? Are you serious? Wait, shame about anxiety. Oh, okay. That if you're male and have been socialized to be active and controlling, anxiety is perceived as a sign of weakness. This is yes. from uh, a doctor in the Toronto. Toronto again. Why is all my stuff from Toronto? <laughs> Where am I getting this? I go to copy.paste at toronto.org. I don't know how the internet works. But either way, men are are sort of taught to keep that stuff. To themselves, whereas if they're not going to ask for help, a lot of women statistically turn to their friends. Men instead turn towards things like alcohol. I wonder where that comes from. Ethyl alcohol, opium. <laughs> we have it built into our historical self that our anxiety should be covered up with substance abuse. And so that's that. That's the history that I was able to find and some basic facts about men versus women. Pete, any thoughts about them? Yeah, no, I'm I'm just still a little cross that we got opium and the ladies got the vibrator. We could count the distant tumbling stars from the roof of our cars, letting go of our hearts. Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Tommy Metz the third. And I'm Pete Wright. And every week, we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties out into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out, send us the story of your anxieties to something stinky at whatsthatsmell.net. And now that that terrible name for an email address is out of the way, <laughs> Pete, <laughs> I would like to go first. Pete, this actually connects with my anxiety that I shared last week, which was anxiety over being misunderstood over texts or emails. My hunch uh, is that you perseverated on your experience <laughs> last week a lot this week. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> Pete, just to go back to that real quick, every text I have written since has been drenched in weirdness of me Trying out to not use exclamation points, not use weird words and stuff, and it has not worked. I've already given up, and I'm back to exclamation <laughs> points with a bullet, with an e-bullet. But that's not what we're here to talk about this time. Um, this is a yet another anxiety, though, that involves current technology and me. I guess it's my third, because I talked about text and I talked about robots. I don't know about that one. But either way, I would like to start this by offering a bit of a timely riddle of sorts, Pete. Oh, riddles, yeah. 
Kind of, kind of a riddle. Let's see. Maybe it's just a sentence and I took out all the proper nouns. Here we go. <laughs> On December 20th, 2013, a 30-year-old woman boarded a plane in New York. The plane was bound for Cape Town, South Africa. She turned off her phone and was in the air for 11 hours. And when she landed, she turned her phone back on to find out that her entire life as she knew it had been destroyed. Because she's a clock. (laughs) Because the pilot was her mother. No, it is not that type of a riddle. Oh, oh, do you have any kind of idea? You can probably guess because I already sort of leaned into it with my opening. Do you have a guess what happened? And maybe are you aware of this story in real life? You know what? I am aware of this story. And sure, it's amazing. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on it. Okay, so to those that might not, I'm telling the story of Justine Sacco. Now, what happened is before she got on her flight, to her hometown where she has family of South Africa. She typed a quick 12 word message into her Twitter. Uh, The unfortunate message read going to Africa. Hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding. I'm white exclamation point points for the exclamation point. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a fan of that. Uh, While she was in the air uh, blissfully unaware, her tweet had become the number one worldwide trending topic on Twitter. She only had 170 Twitter followers. That's a very few Twitter followers for someone to go viral. But one of her 170 friends forwarded it to a blogger on Gawker. He forwarded it to his 15,000 followers and on it grew from there. Uh, At first, tens of thousands of comments were outraged by her seemingly racist tweet. Soon, hashtag has Justine landed yet? (laughs) became the favorite trend involved and her feed was flooded with people glued to their Twitter just watching this S show unfold in real time. CNN and other outlets took up the story all while she's flying over the ocean, blissfully unaware that any of this is happening. It also didn't help that as people found out by doing a little Google and research, she was a public relations executive at IAC, which is a major media and internet corporation. The company fired her the next day. Thoughts so far, Pete, or would you yeah. like me to keep going? No, I well, I want you to keep going, but also I'm I, I, I th- this was a this was a really difficult, tragic story, and she she made a mistake, significant mistake, uh, and it ran headlong into the internet, and that terrifies me. That is my anxiety. You're exactly right, and it is twofold, and they are incredibly connected. It's the fear of going viral for the wrong reason. And with that fear of mob justice, because the Internet has connected those now forever, which is so strange to me, because you as as a as a filmmaker, I mean, it seems to be the number one thing you could hope for is for one of your works to go viral. My works, not maybe. Yeah. Do you see how I did that? I just I made it just a little bit more pretentious for you. There's just I like (laughs) no, I appreciate it. Well, that's the difference is something that I mean to be out there for everyone to see and something that I meant. And real quick, I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to the book that almost all of my research for this comes from. Uh, It's from the book. So you've been publicly shamed by John Ronson. Uh, John Ronson is a frequent contributor to this American life. He's also written an incredible book called the psychopath test. I just want to make sure that so many of the things that I'm talking about come from that book. I want to make sure that people know that from the tippy top. So, As you said, yes, that it was a bit of a tragic story. And I think it's an incredibly tragic story. 
if we talk about the tweet itself, going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS, just kidding, I'm white. I am a big fan of gallows humor, and I'm a very big fan of very dark or black comedy. And while I don't think that this was a very good joke or a very articulate joke, uh, I do kind of understand the point of view that she was going for. And I don't believe, and I believe that only taken out of context is she the biggest villain in the world for it. Actually, when John Ronson interviewed her, she did later say, to me, it was so insane of a comment for anyone to make. I thought there was no way that anyone could possibly think it was literal. To put it simply, I wasn't trying to raise awareness of AIDS or piss off the world or ruin my life. Living in America puts us in a bit of a bubble when it comes to what is going on in the third world. I was making fun of that bubble. One of the things that really struck me about this and connects to me is I make a lot of those kind of jokes. Not, you really do. Not this kind of joke. <laughs> Don't stop. You're, I love this is another one of those anxieties where I'm getting anxiety by talking about it on the Internet. Uh, I mean, this is so meta as far as me talking about not wanting to go viral or not wanting things to get out taken out of context. But I do have I do enjoy a dark sense of humor at times, but I feel I know when who's around me can handle it because it will be in context and they know my real feelings about it. Justine never got that chance, uh, unfortunately. And what um, stinks about Justine's case is that hindsight has given us the gift of uh, understanding. Like, read that tweet now, now that the story's out. Yeah, it's. I get it. I get what she was yes. going for. I may Correct. not laugh out loud funny at it, but I I get it. And she, I sh shouldn't have been fired. And at the time, I can see why an enormous amount of people read that, clicked on her about, saw that she was a public relations. She is a... Uh, Caucasian woman with blonde hair, all of those things scream incredible privilege and incredible ignorance. So I can understand a little bit of why people started lighting torches. Yeah. Have you ever had this kind of worry? Uh, yes, I do. And I, okay. I think this goes back to an episode that we talked about uh, that we did last season, which was, you know, this idea of uh, fear of d discovery, like fear of fraud or, right. and uh, imposter yep. syndrome. A and yet the job that I do sort of begs for just that kind of notoriety, like somebody better find something interesting that we do and share it with somebody else, because that's what we count on to put food on the table. Sure. And, of course. And and so I am constantly I'm less nervous now that I've been doing it so long. I'm mm -hmm. less nervous now about uh, about the repercussions of putting my foot in my mouth. But I've never put my foot in my mouth in such a, a aggressive way as she did. Sure. And I don't I would like to think that I haven't either. And I know for a fact that I probably would have if I was younger. <laughs> yeah. If yeah. I wasn't the formed person that I am, because back in junior high and high school, where a lot of kids are dealing with this in real time, is that it's not quite clear to them that the Internet is forever. That okay. everything can be found. <laughs> Yeah, that and as a result um, that you can achieve horrible nor notoriety that can really have real world ramifications just by sending things to your friends. And that's a scary, brave new world. Yes, it is please. a scary, brave new world. I want to pivot just briefly. I know you anchored this around Sacco's story, but uh, I have to ask you about James Gunn. Uh, and that's that it, that was coming up a little bit later. But this oh, is the so exact. This is, I no, this is up, the ex then. no. 
That is the exact right time to bring that up because we are seeing this happen more and more on such an enormous stage. Yeah. Yes, to pivot away from someone like, like we can call a civilian sort of caught up in a tempest that between Roseanne Barr and James Gunn in the last couple months, has it yeah. just been the last couple months yes. that we've seen incredibly high stakes, so much money involved, hundreds of millions of dollars. Roseanne's show was the biggest new hit that a network had seen in a decade. Right. And they immediately turned around and fired her from the project, saying that she will no longer have any creative or financial output. James Gunn, uh, as a different way, had people unearth some gallows humor, what I would call gallows humor or, uh, you know, dark comedy in his Twitter feed that then people brought up and said Disney next, you know, held them up side by side. And of course, he has, at least to date, been completely fired from the Guardians of the Galaxy. For those that don't know, I'm sorry, James Gunn is the incredibly talented writer and director of the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. Right. So here you have an example of one individual whose tweet uh, led to her dismissal from her job and uh, flaying online over the course of about 12 hours. And one case where this individual has had a thriving career of great notoriety and delivering works of the great talent with which he is blessed, talent and skill. And he was flayed and fired because of something that happened years and years ago on the same platform. And where does that leave us? Because the line starts to get pretty blurry. For me, I feel that Roseanne Barr's, let's call, let's call them just tweets. We can call them jokes or not. That Roseanne Barr's tweet about Valerie Jarrett, I think it's putting across more of a point of view, an actual opinion or point of view than James Gunn was. James Gunn's past tweets did touch on very hot button issues like pedophilia but he wasn't trying to make a real point or trying to change people's minds he was just taking the type of joke that i make a lot uh never online because of this reason but i sometimes make a lot is what is the worst thing that you could think of kind of a joke why i like them personally is that you're a very damaged individual is i'm what's known as a mess (laughs) no is is because it robs the power it robs yeah. it of power if you bring something kind of like this podcast in a certain way of like if you bring something scary or very upsetting into the light and poke fun at it a little bit, then it takes away some of its power. Yeah, that is not what Roseanne Barr was trying to do. She was trying to take down someone because of her political views. But yes. that is a squiggly line that I'm drawing. And that's the line that I have for myself. I haven't been able to come up with a succinct way to rule between the two unfortunately because both involve if we take james gunn versus justine sacco both of those jokes taken out of context can seem very controversial seen once you know the way that it was written and around the kind of sense of humor that they have both of them seem relatively uh harmless to me. well that's the problem with twitter in general is that it is a context-free medium Yep. It, it, these tweets are so short and so bite-sized and people are not accustomed to seeing uh, to to actually using threads the way some of the power users are. I think we can learn a lot more about this on your Twitter account, Tommy's Racist Grandma, where <laughs> I... <laughs> she is me. It's just me. It's a real Medea character I'm coming up with. Yeah. <laughs> 
but you're not on Twitter yourself, right? You don't even have an account, do you? Or do you? I am, but I it's I've never really used I've only used it for promotional reasons for projects that I've yeah. had. And I've always I'm so bad at it that I've just pretty much copy pasted what a partner in that project has been, and I've just copy pasted that onto mine. So I've actually yeah. never written anything on Twitter. And to be honest, it really scares me. Not because I think that I would somehow go on some weird rant that would somehow be taken out of context. Also, I think I have eight followers, but that's not the point. The point is the anxiety lives there because Justine had 170. And then to become the number one worldwide trending topic, if one person gets a hold of something, then that can just light a fire for everyone. And that's terrifying. If there's a lesson to be learned through this is because I do have a fear of mob justice and the Internet has made it so much easier. Just be really careful what you're joining. Be careful what kind of a bandwagon. Try to use empathy as much as possible in responding. Is this something because there are plenty of people saying a lot of terrible things out there that deserve your ire. And there's a lot that is not that is still getting that is being elevated to the same amount of ire in this culture that we have, which is we're just looking for something to tear down in the book. Uh, so you've been publicly shamed. Um, he quotes a another writer named Jonathan Bullock. Uh, that I think really gets to the heart of the problem that the internet gives for mob justice, which is anonymity. And as Jonathan Bullock says, a snowflake never feels responsible for the avalanche. That's, I love that phrase. And that's such, yeah. if I'm looking for something to think, that's a nice way to say it. Just remember, and I know it sounds like I'm scolding. Of course, I'm not to almost all of you out there, but being a troll that really, these are real people on the other end. And, it does take a lot of snowflakes to be responsible for an avalanche. So just always think twice about what you're kind of lighting your pitchfork for. And I like that I can't even say snowflake now. And who lights a pitchfork? <laughs> Tom, do you remember Leave It to Beaver? I do. I I used to watch that show. Not in real time. I think probably on Nick at Night. You wanted follow-up, right? <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> I want to know what you remember about uh, the dad, like, and his work-a-day life. Do you remember when he would... Do uh, you remember anything about the dad? What's your memory of the dad? I might be mixing it up with other shows, but I think I kind of remember him giving everyone a little kiss on his way out the door, and then... The show would happen and then he'd come home and immediately have a pipe in his mouth and sort of sum things up. I'm not sure. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. I feel like he was gone a lot. That's it. That's exactly yeah. what I wanted you to say. And then you go to shows like Dick Van Dyke, which is kind of the other end. Did you ever watch, watch Dick Van Dyke? Yes. Yeah. That's yes. I always. One. Yeah. And so he's married to Mary Tyler Moore. But when he goes off to work, we get a lot more of his work life because the show, a lot mm -hmm. of the show was around his work life. But, you know, never the twain shall meet. Right. It was it, mm. it was there was a cultural norm around the separation of work and home. And because of the time, the, the dad was always kind of the vessel of that experience. But uh, that that has happened late. You look at Murphy Brown. Murphy Brown is one of my very favorite shows. And here's this mm -hmm. professional woman. And then her life was one thing. And then she'd go home and she would hang out with her painter. Right. Right. Very, <laughs> very different. Right. Great, yeah. great comedy there. So. For many of us, that line today 
has gotten pretty fuzzy. Mm. I, I think you would you would agree, right? I, and sure. I, I'll speak for myself. I'm a freelancer. My clients are also my friends, right? Technology is such that my phone ringing outside of the nine to five work a day. Most of the time, I find myself engaging in it. And thanks to social media, my you know my clients find me. We're friends on social media. It it, it all is just blurry. Do you still though trip on a couch? Every time you come home, <laughs> do, I, <laughs> do you still DVD it when you come home? Every, Dick Van Dyke it every okay, good. single day, and it's the same ottoman. I never learn. Look, <laughs> right? Okay. That that brings me to our first listener submitted anxiety. Tom, what we're doing that today? We're doing oh that boy! Today. Huzzah. Okay. I can't wait to hear what you have to to say about it. I this is one I have not shared with you. Uh, I wanted to get your opinion on it. I think it wraps up actually a number of anxieties, and I would like to read it to you now. Please. Hey, guys, I don't know if my anxiety qualifies as weird. Here goes. I work for a big warehouse where I manage a picking floor for shipping industrial products to contractors and builders. I have a good-sized team, many of uh, a team of people who work for me. I think they like me as a boss. I feel like I'm pretty good at it. My problem is that when I'm not at work, I'm terrified of people finding out about me, like where <laughs> like where I eat, what I do, where I live. Sure. I feel like I'm living a double life. And I, when I walk out my door, I open it a crack to check and see who's out there. I even live pretty close to one of my fellow managers, and it kills Ooh. me that he knows where I live. <laughs> my heart is throbbing. My throat gets tight. But as soon as I get to work and put on my yellow vest, everything's yep. fine. What's all that about? I hope you guys can find a way to laugh about it. I struggle to most of the time. Thanks. And then in parentheses, <laughs> you think I'd seriously tell you my name here? <laughs> <laughs> you guys are great. Oh, Thank that's you very, very nice. Much. Uh, anonymous. <laughs> Miss, Mr. or Mrs. X. Mr. Yeah, or that's Mrs. X. I read this and I got a bit of, uh, <laughs> I, I got a chuckle because yeah. I totally get this. I totally relate to this. What do you think? Well, the thing that I immediately thought of, uh, which is why I can connect to it, is that growing up in Boulder, Colorado, if I was in grade school, seeing a teacher out having dinner with a friend or going to see a movie was oh. insane. Oh, yeah. It was growing up. That was like seeing all the zoo animals somehow like out of their cages. <laughs> like what? You see movies and you like I can't now in my adult life. The closest thing I would connected to is if I ever and I haven't saw my therapist out <laughs> like out and about doing something of like is she watching me this whole time is she like what am i doing what am i eating all of that stuff that that's how i can connect to how i assume that must feel i really connect to that but i also connect to it around because i've, huh. I've been a teacher for some time and when i was teaching more at the university it was it, it made me super nervous the idea of having students 
for whom sure. I have a certain persona. Like yeah. I, I want to cultivate a certain kind of relationship, a relationship where I am literally going to have to judge them on their performance. I don't necessarily want to have a relationship with them elsewhere. I don't want them to know where I live. I, I have this I, I have this fear of them finding me off hours and like finding my house and uh, fearful they'll like hound me to change grades or throw tomatoes at me for my performance or like hold up scores like an Olympic judge. Great. So you think that there'll actually be real world yeah. ramifications? Real world that. ramifications. I think so. Okay. And I think that's part of where this goes. Like when you open the door a crack to see who's out there. Like is my coworker who lives close to me actually out there? I don't necessarily want to have to deal with them in the morning until I get to work. Sure. And there is a lot of anxiety to that. And so I, I was trying to pull apart the things that we've talked about. What kinds of anxieties are worked up in here? Right. Uh, mm-hmm. The first is feels naturally there's a social anxiety disorder, right? There, there's sure. an anxiety about sort of uh, it's a social phobia. It's an intense anxiety or fear of being judged, negatively evaluated or rejected in a social or performance situation. In this case, what's weird is that everything's fine at work. The right. anxiety comes at home. Another thing that it involved, the fact that you're saying that once you're at work, it's fine because there are established physical and emotional boundaries there yeah. everyone is is sort of wearing their unfortunate like mask or whatever it is that is that you and so if you say have a long walk into a building from your parking lot and you meet mrs x or y or z and you have to share that walk that ch- changes things it does it forces you to put you the just- mask on fast you get no ramp up time you're not ready yet and you can't look over. You don't have your normal <laughs> stimuli to be able to say, that is a weird cup of coffee. It's been a little while since I've worked in an office. But the point <laughs> is, whatever people say in that kind of stuff, that can be really weird. And I bet that the conversation immediately turns to let's pretend we're inside. Exactly. And that's what I was thinking. That's where I really locked into yeah. the the double life comment. Right. Yeah. I think that is so good because I think you should really double down on that. Uh, anonymous that you should double down on the double life thing and like when you leave work you should put on glasses or something you know something to really signify that you are a superhero alter ego you already have the cape it's the it's the vest right 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 you have the cape so take it off and now have glasses and disguise your identity i feel like that's really the the direction we need to go uh, with this particular, not that you're looking for advice, but it just felt so natural. Take right. the cape off, put on glasses, maybe a little mustache. Always carry around a briefcase, <laughs> just so if you pass someone that you know from work, you can just put it on a bench, and they'll say you left your briefcase. You say, "Don't worry about it," <laughs> and just walk away like some sort of Jason Bourne kind of mystique. Just to like, and if you can always have someone follow you around in a trench coat to then take said briefcase and get into a van, I realize it's getting a little expensive, but that'll really maybe, juice but things each up. Each day, if you have that person drop the briefcase off at just the right time, so you can mysteriously pick it up and walk away, yeah, with no one around. That's really important. Always pretend like somebody is watching you with a six hundred millimeter lens. Yes. Okay. I no. realize that you're going to have to clear a lot of your schedule to make this happen, but. Yeah. That's what this podcast is about. We're solving problems. Now, I'd like to come back. I'm going to rein it in. Here's the thing. One of the bits of advice that I found from a a, um, 
uh, career expert, is that part of the problem of this sort of split anxiety comes because you have inadequate, quote, outside of work outlets. Mm. That part of the challenge is you may need to ask yourself, what am I doing to nurture myself outside of work with a different group of friends? Am I going to, I don't know what you do, karaoke? Do you do karaoke? If Are you going out and meeting people that are separate from your work group so that you're not just in your house hiding? Now, mm. if you're dealing with a social anxiety or some sort of phobia, that's really hard to do. But sure. if if that's not the issue, if the issue is just this overriding sense of anxiety that you're that that you don't want work people to fill the void at home too, because I yep. think that might be part of it. I just don't want work to last all day. Is sure. go out and find something else to do that really fills the outside of work outlets, and that that's legit. That's not superhero spy game stuff. That's that's legit. Sure. Can I review? Number one, start karaokeing. Number two, get a briefcase. <laughs> and number three, at the end of the day, and this goes back into my fear of silence uh, that we talked about last um, season, you're not alone. <laughs> Remember that the person that is meeting you in the parking lot or at karaoke or whatever it is that you didn't necessarily want to see probably isn't that psyched to see you either <laughs> acknowledge that in your head take a deep breath get over it and just sort of say you know what that was a weird cup of coffee the other day <laughs> and then move on because <laughs> i think that's what everybody's wants because we're all the same we're all feeling the same thing <laughs> i did find an article that uh, i thought was particularly germane it is from the uh, uh let's see what is this the bastion of psychological research the onion uh, mm -hmm. And the headline is, man still trying to find right work anxiety, life anxiety balance. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Quote, it seems like I'm always so busy dwelling on the countless dilemmas that come up at the office. I barely have any time to stress over the problems facing me at home. I just wish I had the time <laughs> to freak out about both my job and my personal life without feeling like I'm neglecting the other. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I think Once that's again, what we all hope for. The yes. onion nails it. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Anonymous. We hope you figure this out uh, or at least uh, get a chance to chuckle at it uh, like we did. Thank you. We totally get you. You are not alone. Now go put on those glasses. <laughs> Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash sent of a podcast. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, other MP3 player. You know, we've been saying 180,000 for a long time. I'll bet it's uh, more than that by now. 182,000 by now. Possibly. What are you listening to right now, Thomas? Actually, as you could probably guess, I've been listening to So You've Been Publicly Shamed, uh, the delightfully titled book uh, that I referenced in My Anxiety by John Ronson. Again, John Ronson is a uh, frequent collaborator and contributor to This American Life, and he has a really interesting point of view about a lot of these things. And so I highly recommend that. I also recommend The Psychopath Test and The Men Who Stare at Goats. Forget about that movie that uh, George Clooney was in. Instead, read the book or listen to the book, I'm sorry, on Audible. They are all dynamite. So You've Been Publicly Shamed is seven hours and 26 minutes. So I would maybe put off that engagement 
and instead just really dive into Audible because Audible is the best and so is John Ronson's books. Listen, here's what I love about this book and I just want to pitch this in case anybody in the entertainment industry is listening. Mm, So You've Been Publicly Shamed sounds like the next great talent show. So You Think You Can Dance, So You Think You've Got Talent, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. I think this really has legs. We can do a public shaming on a big stage. People can vote. I think there's a lot of room for this to grow. I'm very excited about it. You can get started if you're in the biz. You can get started by doing the research. you got to listen to that book. I know I'm putting it on my next listen list. For you, the listeners of What's That Smell, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out the service. So you get the free book and then you go listen to a whole bunch of samples. You get to keep the book as long as you want it. www.audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. You want to support the show? Go get a free book. And guys, remember that we don't pay to advertise this show, so we really appreciate you sharing it with others, other friends, other family members you think would be interested. It is season two, but you know what? Those five-star reviews in iTunes and Apple Podcasts really help others to discover the show. So if you like what you've heard, share it with the world, and it's all on you. So if that gives you anxiety, who cares? Do it! (laughs) Our life is in your hands! Coming up next week, it's like you go to the drive-thru at Krispy Kreme and you say, I'd like those donuts, and then they give you one donut and then punch you in the face. <laughs> but also, that also sounds like a like... terrible card. Get well, right. condolences, Get well, happy, condolences birthday. happy birthday. <laughs> Jeez Louise, you really yeah. shove it all in there. Well, I was fired from Hallmark long ago. So. <laughs> it's funny because back in Pioneer days, it sounds like the worst. But if it's living to 25 or heart sacks and dick bags, I wonder <laughs> if there should, if maybe 25 and out doesn't sound too bad. Thank you all for joining us today. Today's tune is Never Want to Grow Up by Katrina Stone. Until then, I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz III. Thank you for downloading. We will be back next week on What's That Smell? We just want-